Hi everyone, it's AML here and I wanted to record my COVID diary. A lot has happened over the past three months and I've been meaning to record my own diary and share with you guys. Um, we recorded a handful of diaries early on during the pandemic, but it's interesting to be able to do so now um, after the storm is somewhat clearing. Um, the idea behind the COVID diaries is to share our own stories of coping, of resilience, and what we do to kind of cope with these things, I think ultimately may help others as well. Uh, but before, a special note to our graduates. Congratulations on graduating, on becoming internists. Um, and I'll share something that I shared with my fellowship graduates as well from the Infectious Disease Fellowship. Um, congratulations on becoming a specialist and in your case, an internist. Um, you have made friends and family along the way, but the city needed you as well. And all of you contributed to our department's response to this unprecedented public health crisis in meaningful ways. Thank you for your contributions and for all your help supporting your patients, your residents, your co-residents and faculty. Carl Sandburg described Chicago in his famous poem by the same name in ways that remain relevant. Stormy, husky, brawling, city of big shoulders. And having answered so, I turn more once more to those who sneer at this my city and I give them back the sneer and say to them, come and show me another city with lifted head singing so proud to be alive and coerce and strong and cunning. These broad shoulders are made of people like you, uh, graduating class and, uh, you know, uh, uh, incoming interns and, and residents. Congratulations on graduating um, and on to your next phase with strength, cunning, like the city in which you trained. So with that, I'll kind of move towards my COVID diary. Uh, it's been a very busy uh, couple of months for me. Um, everything started really for me on March 1st. Uh, in my role uh, in infectious diseases and infection prevention, we monitor these events. Um, you know, for MERS, for example, we created um, education and guidance that if anybody with respiratory illness shows up, you should ask, you know, if they've traveled abroad. Um, we were in that same mode really since December, um, but everything changed on March 1st. Um, on February 29th, that was a Saturday, um, the first uh, community spread was confirmed in Washington State, and since then we've been nonstop uh, preparing and then responding to this pandemic, as you guys have all known. Now, what have I done to cope? Um, you know, I think it's important to recognize that burnout is normal, that be being tired, recognizing your limits and asking for help, but also recognizing when others need that from you. And I'll be honest, in my case, um, I had a lot of internal and external stressors, not just the stressors of, of you know, planning and responding to, to this, this big public health crisis, um, but, you know, dealing with family life as well. Um, my wife, Katie, was uh, pregnant when this all started. She was about seven or eight months pregnant. And on March 15, um, the schools closed. And, you know, basically throughout, the, you know, from there on, um, I had to separate myself from my family for a variety of reasons. Number one, 
childcare. We didn't have childcare, um, and therefore they had to go to their grandparents, as many of you have also had to do similar things. Um, I also couldn't visit them um, once they were there, since I was actively seeing COVID patients. That would have been an unnecessary uh, risk to other people. So I think that was one big stressor for me. And the way that I coped with that was, of course, remaining close uh, through technology and things like that. Um, but also my, my friends. My friends would call me all the time. Um, they knew that I uh, needed their support. And many of my colleagues in the ID section, um, Scott, Mahesh, Dr. Patel, um, and outside of the ID section, you know, we're, we're constantly in touch. And I really appreciate that. Um, so, again, how do you cope? How do you build resilience? Um, I don't know that I have the perfect answer for you. I, I'm dealing with these things as well. And I think that's important for us to share with you residents too, that faculty also get burned out and um, have stressors and um, you know, sometimes even have feelings of inadequacy. Am I doing a good job? I think these are natural feelings that you will deal with for the rest of your careers. Um, some of my chief residents, uh, co-chief residents, um, we remain in touch and, and we <laughs> we bring that up all the time. Uh, that at the beginning of chief year and, you know, in other transitions, we feel, you know, like the job is bigger than us and that we're trying to do our best and that we're not sure if we're going to meet the moment. Um, but then you realize that there's a cycle of that, that you you know, you, you start something, it gets, it becomes very difficult, uh, but then all of a sudden you're able to, to tackle it. And I think it's important to recognize that you'll undergo those cycles for the rest of your life. For the people who just graduated, you probably felt the same way your first week of intern year and your first, you know, month as a ICU resident and your first month as a CCU senior and so forth. And I, I can assure you that people in leadership positions, um, who, probably feel the same way. If you become a department head or a division chief, all of a sudden you have all these responsibilities and you feel, you might feel inadequate or, or that you, that you are not sure if you're going to do a great job and then you apply yourself and you do. So I think it's important to recognize that that feeling is normal and for our incoming interns, keep that in mind and build resilience from that, that everybody was there too and everybody still is there. It's a cycle of growth in this um, awesome profession that we have that you will continue to to uh, to grow and to and to get new skills and new responsibilities um, so I think with all of that said, what other things did I use for resilience i i I tried to still be myself and by that I mean i I tried to however um, however delicately however uh, possible still cling to my hobbies. And for me, uh, reading was a big part of it. Reading gives me a lot of, of, of things. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm a f nonfiction type of person and philosophy type of person. And especially in nonfiction, um, I see that other people deal with exactly the same things that we're talking about. Big challenges, um, sometimes feeling like they're not doing a good job. Frankly, making mistakes. All of those things, the greatest leaders in history have had to deal with. And I think it gives you a sense of perspective. Um, and philosophy as well. Um, one of the books that I um, read 
reread actually. I read it my intern year, and interestingly, another challenging year, I grabbed it again. It's a book by Albert Camus called The Plague. So Camus was a French philosopher um, and writer. He won a Nobel Prize for literature, and he's written a lot of very interesting books. Um, some of them novels, and some of them essays and nonfiction type philosophy uh, books. Um, but he wrote a book called The Plague, um, which is about a physician and a town in Algeria called Oran that was dealing with a plague. And for me, that book gave me a lot of, just a lot of uh, uh, points towards resilience and coping because it showed me a doctor in the 1940s dealing with the exact same things. And by exact same things, I mean the social, cultural, and medical aspect that is a plague. Um, a plague is not just the patient in front of you. A plague is also its, its grasp of society and of the world around you. And for me, reading it, just, you know, I read this book and I saw it in a completely different light. Um, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, actually, ten years ago. Wow. Uh, um, so, and some of the some of the uh, allegories in the book have been thought to be related to the rise of fascism in Europe. Um, but reading it in the context of a true plague, um, you see it through the eyes of the plague itself and the current context. And again, that gave me a lot of resilience and hope in the sense that plagues are as old as mankind. And for us, our generation... This is probably the biggest one we've dealt with, um, perhaps the only one, but that in and of itself is an anomaly in history. Everybody, plagues have, you know, helped empires fall and, and plagues have changed the way we do things. Um, so reading the book shows me that we're really not in this alone. And as Dr. Tsar said in one of his emails, um, mankind has survived all of these, <laughs> um, in one way or another. Um, I do want to read you some quotes from the book because I think it reflects the different parts of what we dealt with, all of us collectively. Um, one quote, what's true of all the evils in the world is true of the plague as well. It helps men rise above themselves. All the same, when you see the misery it brings, you'd need to be a madman or a coward or stone blind to give in tamely to the plague. I think this is true of what we all dealt with, right? I think all of you have risen above, you know, and beyond. Uh, our residents really were at the forefront of responding to this plague in our city. And for that, all of us are extremely grateful and proud. Um, but at the same time, it, 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 you know, that second part of it, when you see the misery it brings, you need to be a madman or a coward to give in tamely to the plague. We're in this, but we know that this is big and that it is affecting a lot of people and that we, you know, ourselves are at harm's way. So it is, it is a big deal. Um, but all of you have given and, uh, given a lot and kind of risen above, uh, quite a bit. Uh, another quote that I really enjoyed is, you know, in the first couple of weeks, I was working a lot and working very late, developing policies, procedures, and all sorts of stuff for this expected 
wave of cases. A wave, by the way, that we didn't know how big or how small it would be, but that every, you know, prognostic uh, uh, tool out there said that it was going to be big, and it was. Um, yet, on March 14, I remember I took a break and I went to get a part for my bike or something, and the entire city was out um, enjoying St. Patrick's Day. And I was extremely concerned because I felt like, obviously, that would worsen the situation, but also, it's like we were living in two worlds. And this quote from the doctor in the book is exactly how I felt then. They fancied themselves free, and no one will ever be free so long as there is, so long as there are pestilences. I mean, that is exactly true, and even today, we are opening up, and things are, you know, certainly getting better. Um, but we will never be free as long as there are pestilences. We, we, you know, we assume that everything is under our control, but the truth is we are part of a broader picture. Another important part is, you know, in the book, the physician starts seeing these signs that something is coming. And in the case of the book, it's really, uh, you know, uh, plague uh, rather than COVID. So, what the physician starts seeing is rats on the street. And I think for all of us in medicine, the, 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 the signs were, you know, news from Italy and from Europe, uh, in addition to the early news from Asia, but particularly as it spread through the Western Hemisphere in countries and systems similar to ours. Um, and, you know, the quotes, the quotes here is, you know, 8,000 rats had been collected. A wave of something like panic swept the town. Eventually, you know, it comes through and people recognize it. He knew quite well that it was plague. And, needless to say, he also knew that were this to be officially admitted, the authorities would be compelled to take very drastic steps. This was, of course, the explanation of his colleagues' reluctance to face the facts. It's exactly the same conundrums that we're dealing with here, um, especially in the early weeks of all of this. You know, different countries implemented different things. Um, Great Britain, for example, implemented a completely different policy than Greece. Um, and, you know, these are very difficult decisions to make. Um, but it's just interesting how even that is well reflected in the book. And then, of course, these drastic measures led into millions and millions of people losing their jobs. Um, as I was biking these eerie, empty streets towards work, um, this quote from the book always comes to mind. The machinery of global capital has gone quiet, and we find ourselves half-abandoned, each to our very own little mindful solaces. All of us were preoccupied with work, um, and frankly, even that probably continue, contributed a little bit to um, not feeling well in the sense that, you know, there's so many people that don't have the luxury of work, of being able to, to, uh, to get a, a paycheck. Um, and then on the other spectrum of that, you have essential workers that are lucky to have a paycheck in the context of the pandemic, but extremely at harm's way. And I think to that, um, you know, I always felt terrible about that as well. Um, now, the other kind of final quote is, 
perspective. Two more quotes from you uh, that explain how I felt too. Everybody knows that pestilences have a way to recurring in the world, yet somehow we find it hard to believe in ones that crash down on our heads from a blue sky. There have been as many plagues as wars in history, yet always plagues and wars take people equally by surprise. And I think that certainly was the case here. Um, and, you know, ultimately, eventually when it was here, we, you know, responded, but I think it was a surprise to many, the size and the scope. Um, even as we saw the early reports, uh, you know, uh, difficult to, to discern um, what was happening in, in Wuhan. Uh, certainly it was big. Um, but again, it was difficult for everyone, even the people that were well plugged in uh, thinking about these things to understand how much of a big impact this would be. And, you know, in that quote where it says that there have been as many plagues as wars in history, uh, I think it's important to recognize, and I hate to use metaphors of war, um, uh, but uh, the truth is in popular culture and in the psyche of most nations, um, wars tend to stick. Uh, so using some of these analogies in, with regards to numbers might be important. So there certainly have been as much pestilences throughout history, as I mentioned, um, whether it's um, the Spanish flu, which of course is in everybody's minds these days, um, but throughout history, bubonic plague, uh, the plague of Antonin, the plague of you know, all of these plagues throughout history have played a significant role. Now, we are approaching a poorly counted uh, death rate of 110, 120,000. Um, if you look at casualties from war, only the Civil War with 755,000 and World War II with 405,000 uh, American uh, deaths uh, are bigger than this. World War I... Um, topped 116, and many of those were from influenza rather than from war itself, um, from infectious conditions and so forth. Um, so it's important to recognize that that, that this is big, um, and um, we have to keep our guard up. And with that, here's another quote. What's natural is the microbe. All the rest, health, integrity, purity, if you like, is a product of the human will, of a vigilance that must never falter. So as we open up, remember that we must not falter, that we must remain vigilant and and that indeed, you know, the plague is still here. Um, my favorite quote, which I started using in thank you letters, um, is where the physician is asked how you defeat a plague. And he says that that's an idea which may make some people smile but the only means of fighting a plague is with common decency. And I think that has been probably my favorite thing of the book, that it shows you that it does bring the good in people. I've had neighbors, you know, who have given me PPE, neighbors who I don't even know. They just drop it off in my front door because they see me leave with a lab coat. And that is decency. Decency is, is a variety of things. Decency is... Going to work even though you're tired, going to work if you're afraid, calling a colleague if you know that he or she is burned out, um, making all of the sacrifices that all of you have done, um, that is decency. Uh, it's caring about others. It's, it's you know, covering for each other and helping out. 
So I think all of you guys are true heroes and have contributed towards this plague because of your decency. Um, and, you know, I veered a little bit uh, into all of these different quotes because they really did help me cope. They helped me, you know, they provided a source of resilience because every emotion that I had throughout this bell curve of rise and then fall has been represented in this book. And what that tells me is that we truly are not alone, that, that, that this has been a part of human history, that others have dealt with the same thing. The sacrifices that we have all done, others have done so as well. Um, and frankly, peeps, there are many that are having even bigger sacrifices, sacrifices to their health, to their ability to provide for their families, and so forth. So I think reading gave me that. It gave me perspective, and it gave me strength. So I think to summarize my COVID diary and my COVID uh, kind of message to you guys. Number one, all of you have really met the moment. Uh, you have worked hard, covered each other, and dealt with very significant, hopefully once-in-a-lifetime type of situations here. Um, now, for my own kind of advice with regards to coping and resilience, I think finding the things that keep you grounded um, in my case, you know, I tend to, uh, my favorite thing to do is really read and listen to music and bike on the lakeshore. The lakeshore was closed, so I found, uh, uh, you know, I was able to bike to work. There was no cars, and there were no cars, and I biked on Elston Avenue, uh, which is, you know, was a great place to bike. Um, and reading, reading gives you, pers gave me perspective and, um, you know, made me recognize that other people have dealt with the same things. Um, and then supporting each other. Uh, I called my friends when I knew that they needed it. But honestly, I think I was the recipient of more of that. Um, uh, Mahesh Patel and Scott uh, and my own friends called me all the time, um, especially on, on weeks or days that they knew that I needed it. And I think that that helps us all cope. Um, and then last but not least, just recognize that burnout and, you know, feeling tired, feeling inadequate, feeling like you may not be doing a good job. Those are natural thoughts. And these are thoughts that we all have to learn how to cope with. Um, but I think recognizing it, recognizing that you're tired, recognizing that you need, you know, someone to talk to or help is an important part of all of this as well. Um, you will need it in other scenarios in your career. And certainly this one was quite a challenge and it's completely normal for people to need it in this scenario. Um, I didn't mention music. Music actually played a big part of how I cope with this. And um, I'm a big jazz fan, and I rediscovered, uh, you know, an album that I was... Somehow I started doing things that I did when I was an intern and when I was interviewing for residency. I was really into an album called In a Silent Way by Miles Davis and uh, its predecessor called jack johnson a tribute to jack johnson and both of those albums really got me through all of this um when i was feeling really down i would listen to uh, a down album and that actually helped too and i think in this particular scenario i listened to a lot of um an album called sea change by beck um but anyways i think we all have our differences and i think it's a matter of knowing yourself uh, and 
recognizing when you need these things and trying to find the support that you need. Um, so thank you, and I hope this helps. Um, if you have anything to share, please shoot me an email or we'll figure a way to record you. I think it's as easy as leaving a message in my in my Google Voice number. Um, but uh, we, I think it's helpful to share these stories and to support ourselves. Um, thank you once again, and congratulations to our, our graduates.